welcome back. I'm Jenny Fielding, and this is Techstars IoT. Hi, I'm Jenny Fielding, Managing Director of Techstars IoT in our recording studio today. We're joined by one of the more interesting tech entrepreneurs and VCs that I know, Nihal from ENIAC. So Nihal founded several technology companies and now is the founder and general partner of ENIAC Ventures. Welcome, Nihal. Thanks for having me. Nihal, we've known each other for a long time. You're an entrepreneur and now you're a VC. Tell me just a little bit quickly how you got into tech in the first place. Yeah, I think uh, I was always, I guess, a computer nerd from uh, from childhood, like taking apart, putting together computers, that kind of stuff. Reading the DOS 3.3 manual from cover to cover. That, uh, that, that do, does make you a nerd. Yeah, yeah. Officially. T- totally. But I think my uh, my enlightening moment was actually working in the Valley in 1998. So the summer before my senior year of college, I had an internship at Microsoft, and it was in Cupertino. And just literally as soon as you get on 101 and seeing a big billboard for a company called Yahoo, you know, I knew that uh, I wanted to get in this industry. Awesome. So we're going to talk a little bit about IoT, but first of all, you have a pretty impressive portfolio, Airbnb and AdMob, SwiftKey. So just we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. Tell us a little bit about how you evaluate and kind of look at entrepreneurs at the beginning. So what, what are the key characteristics? Yeah, I think, you know, ENIAC is strictly a seed stage investor, so we like to lead seed rounds. And I think at seed, you have to analyze teams of companies you're thinking about investing in a very different way than at A or at B or later stages. And I think the number one quality, what we look for in in a team is resilience, the ability to really break through walls. We, We know as founders, we know way too well as founders that businesses twist and turn and take many pivots. You know, there's co-founder issues, there's market timing issues, there's VCs getting scared in a particular sector. And so the one thing that keeps companies going is, is the, the ability for the founders, you know, to, to really course correct and, and punch through these walls. And so it's taken us a while to, and we're still iterating on analyzing and questioning and doing diligence on entrepreneurs to prove to them that they have that ability. But I think that's by far the most important thing. And then they have to be going for massive markets. You know, I say when folks shoot for the stars, they land on the moon, right? And so I think the trajectory has got to be so big, right? Like entrepreneurs are going for, you know, the $100 billion bulk goods industry or the mortgage industry or the credit card industry. These things are massive. And, you know, it's not usually going to work out the way that you plan. So if you go after a big market, at least you'll land on something that is also equally as big. Awesome. So you guys have a thesis around mobile, and here during this podcast, we like to talk about IoT, and you've invested in kind of a large number of IoT companies. So what's, what's the intersection there, and what are you excited about? Our thesis basically is investing in software that leverages things that are constantly connected to the internet. So we started with smartphones. Obviously, that was you know an amazing computing device brought the internet to everybody's fingertips, and we started investing in the smartphone ecosystem as angels 10 years ago. I think now there's other platforms that are emerging that I think can be just as compelling as smartphones are to, to us now. Things like AR and VR, things like robots and drones, things like conversational UIs and bots, and Internet of Things are connected devices. And when we look at IoT, I think for us, we're not hardware investors, but hardware has to be a wedge to a much bigger software platform. 
And that's how we look at investing in IoT specifically. So one amazing company that we met here a few years ago, we were lucky to be a seed investor and they're off and running now. That's a great example of a company that uses, leverages a, you know, it's a sock that you put on a baby's foot with sensors. But the software platform is potentially much bigger than just that, right? It can be a subscription service, it can be an operating system for the baby, et cetera. So that's kind of how we look at IoT investments. Yeah, I think we, we share that. We're at, you know, Techstars, we're mostly software investors, and so we're looking for those scalable, scalable platforms. Yep. So just going back to mobile, it seemed like 10 years ago when you guys were investing in mobile, mobile was a category, right? And so I had a mobile company. Now I don't feel like we talk about mobile that way. And so one of the things that I've you know, written about a little bit is that in 5, 10 years, we probably won't talk about IoT that way. It'll be part of everything. So you know, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Do you guys still call yourselves mobile investors? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. Everything's mobile. You know, to your point, 10 years ago, it was unique when you had a mobile-only company or a mobile-first company. You know, I think that's why we're looking at these kind of new platforms as extensions in the evolution of mobile. Mobile, from a smartphone perspective, we think is completely saturated and very mature. We're still making app, quote-unquote, app-based investments, but very specifically in verticals we feel like are, are late adopters and are finally ready for those apps. So things like verticals like fintech and, and uh, real estate and insurance and construction. We're probably not going to invest in a, another mobile social network right now, right? That exists. It's called Snapchat, right? Uh, and Facebook. And so, so to speak, we're at the top of the S-curve for smartphones. But we're at the bottom of the S-curve for these new platforms. And so as we're looking at the evolution of mobile, we want to invest, say, at the bottom of the S-curve, meaning into developer tools and things that proliferate the ecosystem for platforms like augmented reality and virtual reality or robots and drones. And so I think that's where we're now going towards, where you can very specifically have an AR, VR company, like you could have a mobile company 10 years ago. But 10 years from now, everything might be AR and VR, right? So then we have to move that, to the that next would be a fun, That would be a fun world to live in. I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I honestly think in 10 years, we're not, less than 10 years, we're not accessing the internet from the phone anymore. It's a contact lens or some sort of really nice form-fitting, you know, glasses and who thought that we'd be glued to our phones right like this 20 years ago right so it's moving so quickly it's very exciting it's awesome so like you we've invested in a lot of iot companies i've invested in about 40 a mix of consumer and industrial and some of the b2b you guys invested in beta um, out in california which i am fascinated by so tell us a little bit about that investment and how you got involved so Beta was it was a really interesting investment. You know, I think it was a little bit atypical because it wasn't pure software. So what Beta is right now, they actually have their own store in Palo Alto where they call it retail as a service. And so early adopter kind of brands like Nest and Canary and drone companies can actually license or, or rent shelf space for a certain price per month. In return, Beta basically gives them uh, obviously foot traffic, but all the data analytics around what people are doing with their products. So they have, you know, beacons and cameras where the brand can very easily A-B test product marketing and get instant response. A brand now can just go to beta and literally upload their specs and they'll be on the shelf in a matter of hours potentially. So it's an incredibly scalable and totally new way to look at retail. 
and democratizing, right? Because otherwise, like, yeah. you know, going to Best Buy or getting your stuff in Best Buy is yeah. such an ordeal, right? Totally. And totally democratizing. And, you know, leveraging the fact that, you know, when we go to stores now, like brick and mortar stores, God forbid, like somebody actually gets up and goes to a brick and mortar store, it's more of a showroom. You know, like when you walk through Best Buy, you're actually then going home, getting on Amazon, buying it for cheaper, right? And so I think Beta realizes that. And so they want to give this kind of marketing space to all of these early adopter brands. And now they're starting to scale, not just their own stores, but they're creating betas inside other retail environments. Cool. So we talked a little bit about Outlet. They're a Techstars company in my portfolio. What are some of the other IoT companies that you guys have invested in? Yeah, there's a really cool company in uh, San Francisco called Shaper. And essentially what this software platform is, is it's a way to make power tools more intelligent. So tools that actually see what they're doing. And the first product is called Origin, and it kind of looks like a coffee pot. And it's a power drill, essentially, with an augmented reality dashboard. Sounds really cool. You can buy it now at Shaper Tools for 1500 bucks. Pre-order is coming out next year. But essentially you upload a logo. So say you upload the Techstars logo to this to this drill, as you're moving it around this table, no matter how you move it, the drill actually autocorrects to that design. So it uses material computer vision to see what it's cutting. It's pretty cool technology, and I think, you know, that of course is the wedge that the bigger platform is. Imagine a world where all sort of power tools are intelligent and they're tracking to exactly what you want to do. It's great for safety and of course for hobbyists to just be to have a lot more fun. You know, you can download designs of chairs and get a block of wood, and literally this thing will guide you along to make that, you know, very specific chair. So uh, that's a really exciting one that we did recently. That's awesome. When we talk about products that are $1,500, I think about what happened with Scully, and, you know, their, I think their helmet was around $1,500. Do you feel like crowdfunding is an enabler of you know, kind of bad behavior or experimentation with an IoT? Or where, where, how do you see crowdfunding, you know, enabling? I think it really depends on, on the brand. You know, we invested in an early company called Navdi that had amazing, amazing pre-sales. And uh, they're just shipping now much later than where they ended up selling in crowdfunding. But I think, you know, the most important thing is that the brand has to be, like, very transparent with the consumers because inevitably with IoT, especially with hardware products, there's so many variables, and ship dates are going to be delayed significantly, no matter what. I tell all my founders whenever they give me their estimates, okay, just double that. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we've, we've spec'd it out. I'm like, uh-huh, just double that. Double that to be conservative, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so I think, you know, that's okay. I think people understand these are really super cool products. There's a lot of variables involved, but just be super transparent with your customers and let them know, like, thanks so much for putting up 50% or whatever it is. Here's a T-shirt in the meantime, you know, <laughs> and a coffee mug. And, uh, you know, we're working on this because of X, Y, and Z. And we're so happy for you to try V1 that's coming out now in six months. We'll let you know if there's any changes. Yeah, but there really is a question of what people use that money for. So if you crowdfund, you know, are you using it to validate a market? Are you using it to as marketing where you already have a product? And, you know, there's a ton of risk within startups. And I think we kind of forget in hardware that that is multiplied, yeah, right? And to use that money without having a lot of transparency. So I guess it's really about that. Yeah. I think from a strategy perspective, what we've seen work well is like leverage the crowdfunding to just show the market that there's demand, you know, that people are buying it. Even if they're buying like, even if it's like 10% upfront, whatever, that people are in for it. And then leverage that demand 
to raise some capital so that you're not actually using, you know, that revenue to fund your business. You know, that's just kind of like, okay, we took some orders, maybe use it for marketing, but you leverage that to then raise more capital, you know, venture, and you use the venture, obviously, to grow the business, just so you're not completely reliant on that 10% or whatever as the source of capital. So switching over to international, you guys have made some international investments and love to hear where you see IoT fitting into that. Do you feel yep. like that's just, you know, a massive opportunity? Or are they ahead of us, behind us? Yeah, you know, we, we're geographically agnostic, but the companies we invest in have to serve the U.S. market. We've done, I'd say, 5% of our investments are international, Berlin, Paris, Tel Aviv, for example. Most of those are not IoT. In Berlin, we have a company called Dub Smash, which is kind of a teenage pop sensation. You can lip sync your favorite song and send it to friends. But I think, you know, my gut is that the core innovation is still coming out of the U.S., especially as it relates to IoT. You know, the company Shaper I mentioned, this was the ex-Google Glass team. And so a lot of the talent is recycled, you know, locally. So I don't have, like, a, a great perspective on IoT internationally. So your own experience building a company, you know, one of the things I've read that you've talked about is just embracing failure. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Obviously, you know, I put 20 to 30 companies through our programs every year and, you know, have to talk a lot about that. So from your own experiences as a founder, talk a little bit about that. It's a necessary part of the journey, for sure. Hopefully it happens to you sooner than later. I feel like I'm incredibly lucky. My very first startup went bankrupt, you know, in, uh, started in 1999, went bankrupt in 2001. And as like a first generation Indian American, that was like incredibly humiliating and humbling. You know, the aunties at, at our Diwali party, Diwali's this weekend, by the way, happy Diwali, you know, were in the background saying, that kid went bankrupt, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't fun, but I'm glad I got to see and experience that really ugly, ugly feeling early because I came out of that kind of believing that if that was the worst that could happen in business, then I, I got over that, right? And you kind of feel like you feel stronger, you feel a sense of invincibility. So what made you go back for round two? A lot of therapy. <laughs> uh, you know, actually it probably took a breather for, for uh, I was like DJing, moved to San Francisco completely flipped the script on my life. But then, you know, I think after you fail, you have a chip on your shoulder that you want to do it again. You want to get back on the horse. And the second time or the third time, fourth time, the cycles get a little bit more compressed. Like you, hopefully you learn a lot from your mistakes. And when you think about it, you make all these adjustments and sure enough, you do get a lot better over time. And, uh, you know, I tell every entrepreneur I meet, fail fast so that you can literally get data immediately. If you are waiting on shipping a product, like you've shipped too late, ship it out, fail, learn from it, iterate, get it back out, you know, as quick as you can. And as an investor, obviously we don't tell our founders to fail fast. Hopefully we've picked entrepreneurs that have had failures in the past. That's another thing that we look for. You know, ideally it's a team that has failed together before or had a very small taste of success before. So they're highly motivated the second time around. And more importantly, they've learned from their mistakes and the next cycle is a lot more compressed. So I think failure is an incredibly important part of the business. You know, you learn the most from your failures. You don't learn a lot from your successes. And I've been lucky to experience them and obviously now, you know, coach entrepreneurs through them. 
That's awesome. So one of the things that's fun about running the IoT program is that I get to invest in lots of verticals. So I have a healthcare company. It's kind of the first healthcare company I've really invested in through Techstars. What are some of the verticals that you guys are excited about right now? As I mentioned with the the S-curve kind of language at the top of the S-curve with mobile, the verticals this year that have been pretty popular within ENIAC, fintech, insurance tech, real estate, construction. We have a an app in construction that's just a daily reporting log between foremen and their workers. But now that everybody has a smartphone, these things are taken off. You know, we saw it when it was doing almost 2 million ARR, things still growing leaps and bounds. And so I think those kind of unsexy verticals are interesting, you know, in mobile. And then on the new platforms, you know, I think there probably will be a Snapchat reinvented for virtual reality. And that's going to be really incredibly exciting. And scary, but I mean that that's going to exist. And so, I think as we make our way into those platforms, we're going to kind of look at what we invested in in 2010, 2011 in mobile, and invest in those same types of companies. I think applications now for AR and VR is starting to become more prevalent. Applications for drones. You have a great company in your class that's kind of like a Twilio for drones, right? And I think that makes a ton of sense. Drones are becoming more and more connected. They're Obviously, I mean, it's right here in Chelsea, right? The IED went off a block away, and it's hard to believe I live a block. On the other side, it's hard to believe that there weren't drones, municipal drones, immediately flying overhead that were programmed to, like, listen to police frequency, go to the accident, circle the block, take a 1,000 pictures, do thermal imaging, you know, go to other dumpsters. Now developers will be able to create applications for these types of use cases, which is super interesting. So you mentioned one of the companies going through our program, Dronesmith. We actually have two construction companies. Our thesis for this program is around B2B and the industrial internet. Have you guys been looking at B2B around IoT at all? And do you think that that opportunity is ripe? Yeah, I think it's massive. I think it's super, super exciting, super interesting. You know, I think B2B IoT will arguably be bigger than consumers, certainly from business and revenue perspective. And I think now is the time for sure. Awesome. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you for joining us and can't wait to hear what's next with EDIAC. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for joining me for Techstars IoT and stay tuned for next week and our next episode.